Thank you for joining us online and purposing to worship God with us in this way. Praise be to God and thanks be to God that we can still interact and gather um, through the means available to us. We're going to be looking at James chapter 5 verses 7 through 11 today. James chapter 5 verses 7 through 11. James is addressing Christians um, in, in the first century who are suffering, persecuted, oppressed, and sometimes they were suffering at the hands of other Christians, by the ones they, they loved and by their own family members of God. So how did they orient themselves in their world? And I think we can learn from the wisdom of James principally and apply it to us today. So before we read God's word, let us pray to him and ask him for help. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are sovereign over all things. And from everlasting to everlasting, you have remained the same, the almighty, the awesome and perfect God. Many of us today, um, our brothers and sisters, are suffering and we're living in this unique time. And Father, we, we don't know how to adjust and we don't, we don't know how, we, how to orient ourselves. Father, would you teach us with your word? Would you help us to see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, again, to love him with all of our heart, with all of our souls, with all of our strengths, and with all of our minds? Would you help us by the Holy Spirit that he may open our eyes so that we may see wondrous things? Would you be glorified through our worship in this way? And would you bless us in our worship? Thank you so much. We ask you all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. James chapter 5 verses 7 through 11. I want to remind you that this is the very word of God. Hear now God's word. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so many of us, if not all of us, have been issued a stay-at-home order, and some of us, um, since we're home bugs. We love it. This is the best thing ever. Uh, but for some of us, we're, we don't love being at home. We're stuck at home. And 
odds are we're going to come into conflict with the people we live with just because we're there longer. Um, and sometimes we're going to be in conflict with the people that we love. So how do we orient ourselves in our current situation? Well, James was addressing the Christians at the time, addressing Christians at the time he wrote this epistle. He called them brothers. The Christians James was addressing were suffering, persecuted, oppressed, and um, like I said previously, even at the hands of other Christians, even at the hands of of those whom they loved. So how did they orient themselves at that time? How did they orient themselves when there's so much suffering going around? James' answer to them is in verse 7. Would you look at verse 7 with me? James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. James told them, the answer James gave them was, Be patient, for the Lord is coming. Be patient, for the Lord is coming. So those of you who are joining us today, I want to tell you the same thing that James told them. Be patient, for the Lord is coming. He's coming again. Sinclair Ferguson once said um, that James told the Christians to be patient. James didn't say, be lazy. Um, James didn't say, be idle. James says, be patient. If you were to be idle, idle means just not looking toward anything, not working at all, just doing nothing, letting time pass you over. If you were to be lazy, you may look toward something, but you're not going to work for it. Um, or you may work kind of sloppily towards it, very slowly towards it. But patience is another thing. Being patient looks towards something and works toward it as well. Patience is active, um, actively waiting, actively working, doing what one must do, doing one's part and role. So James says, be patient. But how do we know that's what patience means? In verse 7, James is talking about a farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rain. The farmer has to work. The farmer has to toil, sweat. Um, the farmer is not lazy. The farmer is not idle. Rather, the assumption is the farmer did his part and now he is waiting for the Lord to do his um, he waits for the Lord to produce the fruit, to produce the crops. He's waiting for the Lord to give the early and the late rains. He's being patient. So Sinclair Ferguson asked this good question, and I think it's relevant for us today. These Christians that James is addressing have been suffering, have been oppressed, um, even at the hands of other Christians. There's gossip, there's quarreling, there's fighting, there's slandering, there's murder. So what is motivating these Christians to be patient? What drives them to be patient? How can they be patient, especially now? The answer James gives us in verse 7 says, The coming of the Lord. 
the Lord is going to come back. The Lord will come again. The greatest motivation, the greatest drive that a Christian can have to being patient is looking toward the coming of the Lord. The Lord Jesus will come back. As Christians, we affirm that the Lord Jesus lived, He died, He was buried, He resurrected, He ascended and sits at God's right hand. And that He came to this earth to give Himself His life as a ransom for many, for those who believe in Him. We have received His righteousness and Jesus has taken our sin. And therefore He was crucified as a criminal between two criminals. So how does this motivate us? Because when Jesus resurrected from the grave and He ascended to God's right hand, He promised He will come back again. Death had no sway over Him. And he, in the judgment of Jesus Christ, at the cross of Jesus, we see the perfect depiction of love and judgment. God loves His people so much that He will crucify His only Son and sin along with Him. At the same time, God is so just, so holy, that He would crucify sin along with His Son. He is the perfect loving God and the just God. So how does being patient have to do with that? Because when Jesus comes back, that perfect justice and perfect love will be shown again in a fuller way. All those wrongs will be made right. All those things that we have suffered will be, will be new. Um, we will have something so much better that all the pain, all the suffering, all these Temporary things will seem so dim in the light of seeing Jesus. The greatest motivation is the Lord Himself. Be patient. The Lord is coming again. Look at verse 8 with me. James tells the Christians, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. One way to be patient is to establish your heart, is to strengthen it. Um, we're going to see later on how we may do that. But if you don't, if your motivation does not affect your heart, if it doesn't root deep inside, likelihood is you may become impatient and have the tendency to grumble and to to bite back and to complain. But when the Lord, when the coming of the Lord is such a reality impressed upon your heart then everything flows out of that. Then the things that happen now don't seem that great of, of a deal because Jesus is so much greater. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So what is an example of the opposite of patience? Look at verse 9 with me. James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It seems like James in verse 8 says, be patient. But then verse 9, he says, do not grumble. So it seems like for James, grumbling is actually the opposite of being patient. And being patient is actually the opposite of grumbling. So why is grumbling a sign or um, an act of being impatient. 
Um, I think verse 9 gives us an answer. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, this may be totally relevant to us um, because we're stuck with one another. Oh, we love being with one another. The odds are, because we're together, we may rub each other the wrong way. Um, and when that happens, we may want to take matters into our own hands. So if someone offends you, or someone slights you, or someone does something offensive to you, maybe not even deliberately, we may want to correct that wrong or that offense ourselves. Or in other words, we may want to be the judge ourselves. And so James says, do not grumble, because grumbling is, is, an, is an act of speaking and taking matters into our own hands. Why did that person do that? How could they be so insensitive? How can, how can they be so inconsiderate? Why won't they think of me this way? Um, why won't they listen? These are all examples of grumbling. And you can see that there is a dissatisfaction with the injustice or the offense towards you. And so what we do is try to alleviate that or relieve it or try to feel better about it by grumbling. Another um, thing that grumbling can signify is, God, where, where are you? What are you doing, God? Why am I suffering this way? Can't you do something? Can't you do something about my spouse or about my children? I mean, can't you just make them better? Um, that, those are examples of grumbling. And it's kind of interesting. Grumbling never seems like, God, can you make me a better person? It's, it's almost like being the judge ourselves. We want satisfaction now. But James tells us, uh, tells the Christians in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James not only gives them a reminder, but kind of sort of an encouragement. God is there. God is near. And he will right every wrong. And he will correct it perfectly. Not in the imperfect way that we desire. Sometimes we want too much. Or sometimes we might want too less. But God will give back exactly as a person deserves. He will judge them perfectly, impartially, lovingly, and justly. This is God. Therefore, do not grumble against one another. Rather than grumbling, be patient. Be patient, brothers. And how do we do that again? Be patient, for the Lord is coming again. Be patient, for the Lord is coming again. So next time... You might be tempted to crumble at someone else, um, your spouse, your children, your friends. It may just take us. It may help you take a step back, and remember the bigger, the macroscope of things. The Lord Jesus is coming back, and if He's coming back, that also means that He came already, that He has done a great salvific work for all those who believe in Him. Our eternity is secure with Him. We get to spend the rest of eternity with Jesus, and we know. That Jesus will, the Lord Jesus will make everything perfect because we saw it at the cross of Christ. Perfect love and perfect justice right in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be patient for the Lord is coming back again. He will fix every wrong. He will correct every suffering. And he will give perfect justice and at the same time he will give perfect love 
for that is who he is. He is the Lord. Would you look at verses 10 and 11 with me? This is an example that James gives the Christians. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So remember, James um, tells the Christians to be patient for the Lord's coming back, but he gives two examples. One is of the prophets, and the other one is of Job. Um, to make long story short, the prophets of the Old Testament always spoke the truth, um, always told them what God has told them to tell the people, told them about the covenant of God, told them about who God is, the character of Him, told them about their sins, pleaded with people to repent and to believe. But many times, if not all of the times recorded, the prophets suffered incredibly for, for fixing their eyes upon God, for doing what God wanted them to do, for telling the truth. And they suffered unjustly. They didn't deserve it. They just told the truth. Yet they suffered. How did they do that? How did the prophets suffers so much and if we can figure that out maybe we can figure out how we can suffer in the little ways that we're suffering now at home or maybe we can figure out how we can suffer in the big ways if we're affected by the virus or if we're suffering or if we're being persecuted how did the prophets do that the other example he gives is of job um the story of job if i have to make it very short is Job suffered incredibly. He, he was a righteous man, according to the Bible. Um, he had lots of possessions. He has lots of family members. But in a very brief time, he lost it all. He lost 10 children. He lost all of his possessions. And he was um, afflicted by a disease, uh, by a sickness. There were boils all over him, but these weren't like regular boils. Um, he had to get a metal to scrape himself because it hurt so much and it itched so much. That's what Job suffered. And it happened in less than a week. All of that, less than a week. Job suffered. That is undeniable. He suffered more than anyone I can think of. And he definitely suffered way more than I have. How did Job do that? What was God's purpose in that? How was Job steadfast or how was job enduring how did job how was he patient instead of um talking about what other people might say and things like that we can actually look at the words of job himself um it, if you want to you can turn with me to job 42 job chapter 42 and we'll look at these verses very briefly so job is having a hard time Job is suffering, and he says, Lord, what is going on? Lord, tell me. Lord, let me bring my case to you. Let me argue with you, because I don't understand what's happening. And then before Job chapter 42, God comes. God reveals himself, and Job has an encounter with God, and God speaks. 
And after God speaks, this is Job's response. Job chapter 42. And let's just read verses 1 through 4. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. If you look at verse 3 one more time, Job says something incredible, so profound. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Somehow, Job, even though he lost 10 children, he can say, it was things too wonderful for him. How is Job able to do that? So if I were to talk to Job, I'd say, Job, you, you lost all that you have. And then he would say, I know, but it was things too wonderful for me. Job, you lost 10 children. It was things too wonderful for me. Job, you yourself almost died. Things too wonderful for me. How is Job able to say that? And the answer is, remember before this chapter, Job had an encounter with God. He saw, he met with God himself. And somehow after seeing God, he's able to say things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Things I don't understand, things too wonderful for me. So why does James bring that up as an example? Why, why the prophets and why Job? I think James is telling us that when Job had an encounter with God, when he fixed his eyes upon him, when he met with him, when he talked with him, he was reoriented and he, he understood it was things too wonderful for him. How was he able to be patient? He was with God. Um, or in, in James terms, what was, what was the purpose of the Lord in all this? how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, what is the lesson that we can gain, that we can learn? Brothers and sisters, if you're suffering, if you're having a hard time, um, even if you're suffering in the little ways um, because someone is rubbing against you the wrong way or you're stuck at home and you don't have a moment to yourself, what is something that you can do? James says, be patient, for the Lord is coming. The Lord Jesus himself will come back, and he will make everything right, and he will make it better. And in that day, we're going to say the same thing that Job did. There were things too wonderful for me. I did not understand it at the time, but in retrospect, God, what you have done is so wonderful. I, I, I uttered things I did not know, nor did I understand. So what can we do now? There are a couple of things we can do now. The, the simple answer is we can orient ourselves towards the Lord. We can fix our eyes upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How do we do that? 
we can do that um, in several ways, but I'll give the concept first. We can do that by looking back. We can look back 2,000 years ago and see what the Lord Jesus has done. The Son of God, the Messiah, the innocent Lamb of God was slain. He did no wrong at all. He deserved none of it at all. He came down from the glory of heaven to this earth below. He lived the perfect life every single second of his life. And then at near the end of his life, he was crucified for nothing he has done wrong. But he was crucified for sinners that he loved and that he was willingly giving his life for. But what happened at the cross of Christ? You saw the perfect judgment of God and the perfect love of God mingling in one person. Jesus Christ has taken upon himself the wrath of Almighty God, his Father, and he exhausted it. He drank it down to its dregs. He satisfied it completely that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he took it all. He experienced hell upon himself, the wrath of God that, we, that all sinners deserve. But for those who believe in him, Jesus has taken it from them. And that's not all. At the cross of Christ, when he was crucified as a criminal, treated as someone who was not innocent, his righteousness was imputed to us. We are right before God. Not because of any merit of our own, but because of the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So we can come before him. We can confess our sins because we, are not, we don't have fear of what God may do to us. He will not condemn us. He is the one who saved us. We can look back and see what Jesus has done. We can look at Jesus. And that's not all. He resurrected. He has dominion over sin and death. And all those in him also have dominion over sin and death. We have the power to fight against sin and to love God and to love our neighbors. And he is ascended and he sits at, sits at God's right hand. He is interceding for us right now. You'd think he would stop loving us back then, but nope, he still continues. That's back. But we can also look forward. This, same, this very same Jesus, this Lord and Savior is coming back again. And he's going to do marvelous things, wonderful things. He's going to right every wrong. All these sufferings will be no more. There will be no more tears, no more sorrows. There will be perfect love and perfect justice. All those things that we want satisfaction now, Jesus himself will do it better and perfectly. And he will make it, make all those things, all those offenses seem so dim. Just like he did for Job. Be patient for the Lord is coming. We can look back and we can look forward. Practically, here are some ways we can do it. We can take advantage of the ordinary means of grace. We can take advantage of the ordinary means of grace. We can look at Jesus by looking at his word. We can read about him. We can spend time with him. We can hear and listen and let him speak. And while we just sit down and hear his words over us, we can see what he says to God's people throughout all time. We can look at Jesus over and over again, especially now when we might be stuck at home. We can look at Jesus. That's number one, we can read his word. Number two is we can pray to him. All the anxiety that we have, all the angst, all the, the wrongs that we want, right satisfaction, um, the sufferings that you may be suffering truly and really, 
um, even diseases um, or sickness or that virus, maybe you're, you're one of the affected ones. You can pray to the Lord. And in prayer, you can reorient yourselves to who God is and to who you are. God is the Almighty God, sovereign over all things. He is the very, per very being who raised the Lord from the grave. Not even death can compete with Him. And you are His beloved child. And there is no condemnation for you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You can go to Him confidently in prayer. In the name of Jesus, you can pray. Number two is, this may be a little bit more difficult, but you can spend time with um, other Christians through interacting online, on the phone, and you can spend time with your family at home. Um, you can spend time with your children and with your wife or with your husband, with your significant other, with your friends. And you can spend that time fellowshipping in Christ Jesus, a fellowship that is like no other fellowship in the world. Because if someone offends you, you don't have to get your right. You can give them what you have received yourself grace. If someone comes honestly before you and confesses sin, you can give them what God has given you, grace. You can tell them, hey, what you did, after they confess, you can say, what you did really hurt, but I know I've done the same thing against the Lord. I've offended him gravely, and yet he has given me this vast love, and I want to give you the same thing that he has given me. Our fellowship is much sweeter, much greater, um, it's full of grace and truth. So you can have fellowship. And the last one I want to say to us is um, you can continue worship with us online. Um, hopefully we can, we can worship in person, but the way things seem now, we'll be meeting online. So just by you being here, just by you hearing God's word and worshiping with all those who are online with us today, you are tapping in to the ordinary means of grace. You are being blessed by His Word, um, blessed by the Holy Spirit. God is doing marvelous things, although we may not see it now. In, in retrospect, we will say, God, I have other things. I didn't understand it. There were things too wonderful for me. So once again, brothers and sisters and friends who may not know Christ, be patient, for the Lord is coming. For those that do not know Him, come to believe in Him receive and rest upon him alone for he will take away your condemnation and give you his own righteousness if not we will have to bear you would have to bear the sins by yourself but let jesus take that from you and have a relationship a restored relationship with god again for those of us who are in christ jesus be patient for the lord is coming and he's going to do wonderful things let's pray together father in heaven Thank you so much for the gospel of your glorious son, Jesus Christ, who has given himself, given his life, and given his righteousness for all those who believe in him. Thank you so much that he did this willingly, that he did this lovingly, and that he did this perfectly. He did not need to do this at all. He could have left us in the state that we were in. But thank you so much for the vast love, for his vast love. Thank you that he was full of grace and truth. And that he perfectly displayed who you are, also full of grace and truth. Father, will you be with us in the places that we are? Help us, O oh God. Um, please be with those who are suffering. May this word help them in their moment. And Father, may you be glorified.
thank you so much for loving us, for securing our eternity 2,000 years ago, and we are excited to see the consummation of all things in our future. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.